Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and to inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful business vegan business. And as I record this, we are just a few days away from Christmas. And last week, we had our Vegan Business Tribe end of year members networking meetup on Friday, and that was completely booked out. And it was just wonderful to see so many of our members joining us there on Zoom. And we even had Ian Haywood, who is a Vegan Business Tribe member, but also better known as the vegan musician Be Friendly. And that's B as in the letter B. And Ian played us out with his latest Christmas song, which just gave an amazing festive feel to the whole event. And also, just a couple of days ago, we had the VegFest UK Awards, where we got nominated again for Best Vegan Business Support. Now, Last year, we got nominated just after we'd actually launched Vegan Business Tribe, and we came in 10th place. But this year, we doubled the number of votes that we got, and we came fourth out of 10, which you might scoff at. But to us, that is amazing progression in just 12 months, because the three organizations who were ahead of us in the votes, they're absolute behemoths in the vegan world, including the Vegan Society's Vegan Trademark, who won the award outright. So we've got quite a bit to go before we can beat them. But we were blown away by how much extra support we got this year. And if we're lucky enough to get nominated again next year, then it will be amazing to see if we can double the votes again to just push onto that top three podium. And if you didn't watch back the live ceremony for the VegFest UK Awards, then you can see all the winners on the VegFest UK website at vegfest.co.uk. And go take a look because there were some great friends of Vegan Business Tribe who got recognised and won their categories too, including One Planet Pizza. And we've covered Mike and Joe's journey a lot at Vegan Business Tribe, and they won the best vegan ready meal. Also, Viva La Vegan Clothing, and I'm actually just looking down wearing, not planned at all, wearing my Viva La Vegan vegan tried hoodie as I'm recording this. And then also our friends over at Vegan Food and Living Magazine, and they won the best vegan magazine category. And that was an extraordinary close category. Only 15 votes separated the top two publications. So big congratulations to Sally and the team for just edging that one. So whilst we're in a little bit of a Christmas mood, we've also been doing some tidying up of the content on the Vegan Business Tribe website. And as you know, I always nudge you not just to listen to this podcast every week, but to go check out the website. Because if you're not yet a member of Vegan Business Tribe, then you are missing out on so much of what we do. But whilst I was tidying things up on the website, I watched back an interview that I recorded on Zoom almost right back at the start of the year for the members only section of the site and the interview was with Kevin Newell from Humane Wild 
Wildlife Solutions. And Humane Wildlife Solutions are Europe's only vegan, non-lethal pest control company. And we never put that interview out on the podcast. It was one for the members sections only. And I thought this would actually be a really nice interview to bring you for the Christmas episode of the podcast. Because Kevin, he is as ethical a vegan as you will ever hope to meet. He's been vegan for 20 plus years. He's a hunt sab and he volunteers with animal rescue centres. But with his team, they've even just changed the law in Scotland around gulls. Now, gulls are already a protected bird species, but before now, if gulls needed to be removed because they were deemed to be a pest or a danger, then you could only apply for a licence to kill those birds, not to relocate or rehome them. So, in a trial with 474 gull eggs and chicks, Kevin proved that these red and amber-listed endangered birds could be hand-reared and then released back into the wild instead of being destroyed. So, in Scotland, there is now a new licence that can be applied for when there's a conflict with gulls, where those endangered birds can be taken to rescue centres instead Instead of being destroyed. And that's because of the hard work that Kevin spearheaded with the help of some other amazing organisations too. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of a background into what Kevin does. But in this interview, I couldn't help myself but to find out more about the work that Kevin does as the only vegan pest control company in Europe. You know, what does that actually mean? Because you will hear a number of pest control companies say that they are humane when what they actually do is still kill the animal. But in this interview, you'll hear Kevin say that to him... It's actually the animals that are his customers, more than the humans. And his motivation is doing the best to ensure the survival of these animals that a traditional pest control company would just poison or catch and kill. So we find out a little bit more about how Kevin has learned about the psychology of these animals and how he goes into full CSI or crime scene investigation mode when he's called out to a job. But also... We learn about how he runs his business because Kevin, he started off selling at car boot sales when he was a kid and he then took business studies at college. So he made sure that his business was set up to become financially sustainable to the point where his business now actually funds several charities and rescue centers, as well as being able to give him a living. Now, if you want to see the original video version of this interview, then just head over to the Vegan Business Tribe website and search for Humane Wildlife Solutions. But what I really want you to take away from this interview is that at the core of the company's success is Kevin's ethics. If you ever ask me to give you an example of a truly vegan business, then this is it. This is the perfect example of what happens when you bring together your ethics and your own personal passion with how you make a living. It's what happens when you decide you're going to launch a mission, not just a business. Today, we're with Kevin Newell from Humane Wildlife Solutions. Now, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. For a change, um, Scotland's lovely and sunny, so... 
it's 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 nice, yeah. Absolutely, and you can't say that too often, can you? Now, we, we, no. <laughs> we, yeah, absolutely. Now, today we're talking about uh, your company, Humane Wildlife Solutions. Now, I believe Humane Wildlife Solutions are the only vegan pest control company. Yeah, we are um, Europe's only vegan, non-lethal, ethical, environmentally friendly alternative to pest control. So we're offering people and businesses a full pest control, I say pest control solutions to wildlife problems, but with a vegan approach. And you wouldn't believe how um, how many people want this approach, vegans and non-vegans, I may add. Absolutely. So that actually means that no animals are harmed in the process. No, um, and that goes from deer, foxes, um, mice, rats. And I think we're the only company I know of in the world who extends our non-lethal practices to insects. So ants, carpet beetles, carpet moths, uh, wasps even, you know, the ones that people hate the most. I respect every single one of them. Um, And I always find a solution to the problems they're causing, even if it means I need to create a solution which's never been tried before. Well, that is absolutely amazing. And I want to hear all about that. And that is what we're going to be talking about, you know, mainly in this conversation. But before we talk in more detail about Humane Wildlife Solutions, um, first of all, I'd love to know about your own vegan journey. So how long have you been uh, vegan yourself, Kevin? Um, I think it's come up to 21 years now. Wow. And funny enough, it started, uh, I worked at a wildlife, actually an animal rescue down in Essex when I was a teenager. So while all my friends were out chasing girls, I was out volunteering at a wildlife rescue centre um, because my, my passion was being around and working with animals. Um, and I had the job of looking after these Chinese potbelly pigs, which escaped an abattoir in Essex. So I spent the summer getting them used to people before they could be released into the rescue. And the very first day I released them in amongst the public, I went to go and have a sausage sandwich at the cafe on site, not even thinking until one of the piglets followed me in. And I was like, oh, no, I'm eating one of my babies. But it turned out that um, I was going, I'm going to go vegetarian and all this stuff were like, oh, that's really good. That's really, really good. And then um, this man came in, curly, crazy afro with all sorts in it. Um, scary fellow. He's a good friend of mine. Hi, David. Um, not you, David. It's his name's David. And he told me about the dairy industry. And I didn't believe that they killed male calves and other things that happened. So he said, okay, I'll, we can go to um, a dairy farm and I'll show you because I didn't believe it. I was like, that can happen, surely. So, right enough, we went to a dairy farm the next week. And in a renter skip, the very kind of skip you would get to put you know, garden waste in, or if you're having a big clear out of your house, um, was one dead and one dying male calf in a pool of blood. And it shot me to the core. And um, that was the, the ignition to that spark. And ever since then, I was not, not doing nothing with, with animals ever again. Um, I, I got involved in lots of um, animal rights campaigning. And I have continued that up until now. And even the business supports a lot of um, grassroots and um, campaigning organizations. So I often, because um, my motivation is is animals, not money. And recently the business has been doing really well. So I love to give back to small organizations or grassroots campaigns to support them and help them grow as well. 
And that's absolutely amazing, Kevin. And we can only thank you for, for, for you know, for the work you've been doing on this. And um, because that's quite a, a brutal introduction to veganism. I think most people start with perhaps seeing a YouTube video or reading something on Facebook. But you know, but to actually be confronted with it, that you know, that's a real, you know, hardcore starting point. I mean, back in the day, we did. You know, internet was only starting to come out back then. You know, it wasn't. It's kind of being made available to the masses, and there wasn't much on the internet anyway. So. You know, I remember still having the vegan shopper guide, the little green book with all the shops which sold the different vegan products. That was my Bible. I still got a copy, I believe. Um, but yeah, back then, you know, didn't have the internet to to give me that experience. But one of the things that YouTube can't give people and videos and social media can't give you is the sounds and the smells. And, you know, it hits you really deep, really deep. And it shot me to the core. And I was just a teenager, but shot me to the core and um, I'm glad I had that wake up call. I think if, if most non-vegans had that experience, it would do the same to them. It was so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get into what we call in pest control for today? But how did you start your company? Well, I used to work for a welfare to work organization. Um, one of the top performers in, in the regions. And I got made redundant because they wanted me to take a big pay cut. And it got to the point that I was sick and tired of working for people and not really achieving much in my mind. My put all my power, my my time and effort into helping people only to be just laid off from work. And I sat at home and I watched a program about foxes and how thousands of foxes have been killed every year in our towns and cities. And I was like, well, I love foxes. I don't want to see that. And I wanted to find a, a way of changing it. And I happened to come across... Uh, a gentleman called John Bryan, who did on some kind of scale, he's a guy who kind of invented the whole humane kind of pest control aspect. Uh, he died just um, over a year ago or so. So um, it's really sad because he was my mentor and a friend. And, you know, if it weren't for him helping me along this journey, I wouldn't be here now. But I wanted to to help foxes. And um, when I looked into it and I spoke to John more and John was like, you know, it's not just foxes that people need help with without them being harmed. Um, so I started getting people going, can you help with rabbits? Can you help with moles? Can you help with mice? And I was like, I can, but let me find out how I do it. And um, I, I will never turn a job away. Even if it's a job I can't physically do, I will find a way for those people to overcome that problem without harming them. Um, and because the way I look at all my jobs, David, is, my clients are the animals and it's them who I have to do the best by. And the people who employ me just give me money to, to work with animals. And that's fine. Uh, I'm not, that's not my motivation, but my motivation is always doing the best I can for the animals, be it ants or wasps, foxes or rats. To me, they all deserve um, to exist alongside us without us causing them harm. I think that's an amazing story as well. You know, the fact that the reason lots of us start up vegan businesses is because of our passion to make the world a better place. Now, most of the time, it means veganizing the skills that we already have. But you're a lot more direct here. And I love that point you said where your customers are actually the animals here. You are saving the animals and being paid to do it, you know, which is a brilliant place to, to start out with that. So just tell me how this works then. Because normally when we talk about pest control, it usually is at the worst case, it's, it's trapping and killing the animals. Animals. At the best case scenario for most animal removal, it's actually taking that animal away from that area. So, so how do you approach it then? I get asked this question a lot, especially when I do talks at vegan festivals and wildlife events. 
Um, and they were like, well, how would you do with a rat in a house? Now, that's a very simple question. You think that would cover loads, but every pretty much every house is different. Every job I do, regardless if it's 10 rat jobs in a row, all in terraced houses, there will always be different scenarios. So every job I start with um, a full-on questionnaire with the client, so I get a really good feel for what's going on. And then when I go on site, I do what I call my CSI investigation. So I literally, it's literally hands and knees, searching every part of the property, understanding, you know, even just understanding where a mouse or rat runs to and from. So someone's just like, oh, he's over there somewhere. But to me, that to me is already getting me in the mindset of animal because I work with the psychology and behavior of every animal. So I need to understand everything from an ant to a mole to a rat to a fox. And as soon as I understand how they think and behave, and then I can see where that behavior is occurring, I then can start figuring out the pieces to the puzzle and solving their problem. And I didn't think there'd be so much psychology going into this. You know, actually trying to put yourself in the <laughs> mind of the animal. That's amazing. Yeah, it is good. It's, um, I love it. It's, to me, every job's a, a, a whole new case, as I like to call it. And solving that case, it's actually really good fun. You know, the clients obviously got me out there because they're not having fun with this rat or a mouse in the house. But to me, I really enjoy my work. So uh, understanding what's going on and then finding the solution. And the thing is, there's never just one solution to a problem. There's always, you know, I've got to think on the feet. I've got to figure a way to, to, to stop them coming in certain areas or in a lot of cases is getting my client to change their behavior because it's the behaviors of people which attract these animals in in the first place. And people don't like being told that. So it's it's using my people skills as well to go, well, if you change this because this might be the cause, then it might help the problem. No, which is absolutely amazing. Now, just going back to that problem then of having a, a, a rodent in your house. Now, this is something I quite often see in vegan Facebook groups. So, so people have yes. discovered that they've got, uh, you know, rats or mice, but they they desperately don't want to call an exterminator because they don't want these animals to be killed. So how would you actually deal with that if you do have a rodent in your house? Um, well, firstly, a lot of people think they see it once and then it's gone. It's not the case. It's always going to be about, usually when there's one, it's there's usually more on a rare occasion. It could just be one. Um, but when it comes to them being in their home, it does take what we do, our foolproofing service. So for take example, a lot of our work in Glasgow and Edinburgh that we do, and in London now, um, is in flats in buildings. So it could be the third floor up and along terrace. So if you're in that situation, every probably every property on your same level across the whole terrace is going to have mice visiting them unless there's no entry points. So what we do is we like to ring-proof that flat so nothing else can get in. So the mice will be travelling up and down the building and across from flat to flat. So our first priority is to establish whether the rodent is living outside the walls or inside the walls. And then what we do is we then go, the CSI comes in, uh, the work we do with that, and then we put in the proofing around the entire property. And some people go, yeah, but it's just in the kitchen. And I was like, yeah, but if I go and proof your kitchen, it's probably going to pop up in the living room if I don't go make sure that's okay too. So I have to do the whole property. And it's this approach, which is, you know, seeing these problems be eradicated, you know, not the animals, but the, the issues of constant year on year having rodents in a property and it's, it's a big selling point to letting agents and property developers is i can make your property rodent proof that that means then in the future the letting agents not got to pay hundreds of pounds over the years if not thousands to conventional pest controllers to keep coming back and putting poison down 
when I can come out and do my job, usually on one visit, sometimes on the second, and solve their problem. And that's that them for years upon years, as long as the, the proofing work's not been tampered with or, or damaged in building works. And then what in that situation? So once you've actually proved the property, um, then the animal, you know, isn't able to get back in. So you don't actually have to remove that animal then. Correct. That's the ideal. That's the ideal situation. If we can achieve that, that's the best. But there's always going to be cases because when you know they say don't work with children or animals because they don't play ball. Uh, I know that very too often, especially um, more with mice. I'd say um, they tend to they'll be happy just sitting under a bookshelf all day. And then they come out just want to go. Oh, can't get back down that hole now because it's been proofed. So if that's the case, what we do is we do send out live cat traps and we use only the the best. You, you get some of these really small ones, which is the equivalent of you being locked in your cupboard or stuck in your bathtub for hours upon hours. So we go for the biggest, the best uh, ones we can get, which then is the equivalent of a mouse being stuck maybe in a whole room. And it's all about making sure their welfare is looked after whilst they're in that captive state. And then what we do is we actually help the people find a suitable release site. Because you can release um, mice outside and rats outside. A lot of people think you can't. You can, as long as it's done correctly. As long as you look for harbourage, potential food source, potential water source, and it's done at the right time, it's usually absolutely fine to do that. No, which which is an amazing way to approach it as well. Now, you've talked also about repelling wildlife rather than, you know, having to trap it, which is the best thing to do. So are we talking about, um, uh, it, I mean, we started the conversation with with foxes and outdoor wildlife. So are we talking about things like that as well? Yeah, I mean, you can repel foxes from your garden if they're causing troubles in your garden. Uh, this week alone, I've, I've had probably about 10 calls all about young foxes moving into new territories because this time of year, uh, wildlife disperses its young. Mum and dad are like, we're had enough. Go find your own place. And they kick the young foxes out. So in these instances with these foxes, they're going into gardens where there's no, no foxes, other foxes there. And they're digging and they're fouling and they're trying to make their own territory. So in these cases, you, you can use um, like water scarers. You can use LED nightlights or you can even use things like cat and dog repellents or fox mm. repellents to stop them from continuing that fouling. Because when they're getting to the point they're digging in gardens and they're fouling, you just need to neutralise the zone because they're, they're, they're scent marking it. So you need to understand that, you know, their world is governed by scent. This is our territory and it's it's got all these little points which are indicating to other foxes that is their territory. Now, they'll do this a lot in certain areas within the scent of their territories too, but it's neutralising those smells and using repellents can actually encourage the foxes to keep the territory, but just not to, to dig and foul everywhere in someone's pristine pansy garden or amongst their marigolds. And I think that's why culling has just never been a very appropriate method for, for any reason at all, because if you create that space in nature, nature will fill that space. And I know that lots of, you know, lots of studies into the wild animal culls that have been done just shows that other animals are traveling further. And, you know, if they do have diseases, um, they'll be bringing those diseases with them. So it, it's, it's just not a solution. I mean, if, if you look at a it, there was a fox cull in London many, many, many years ago and actually increased number of foxes. So it doesn't work. And it's the same with pigeons. You know, people go and shoot pigeons when they're causing troubles. Um, they actually find the pigeon population actually increases because the ones who do survive, you know, they've got more to, to work with, more food. They can breed quicker, breed more young. So culling doesn't work on any single um, level at all. Enjoy the fox cubs in your garden. Enjoy the pigeons flying past. 
you know, you don't always need to have an animal removed just because it's in your personal space. And it's, I think it's a thing with, with humans, we want to control every aspect of our life. So, you know, there's, there was a case, I think it was in Bristol where someone put pigeon spikes up a tree. You know, it's, it, that's taken that control to a whole new mad kind of level, which I think we need to step back a bit and go, you know what? The trees are kind of mainly there to let the birds live in them. They, they feed in them, they nest them, they use them for shelter. I think we can just allow them to, to sit in trees sometimes. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons we come into conflict with wildlife is because we've reduced their available territories. You know, we, we have moved into their homes. So w- would you say that we've forgotten how to live side by side with wildlife? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, people not have only forgotten about how to live with wildlife, they've, they've also forgotten how nature works, how these animals behave and a lot of them bring a lot of benefits to us. If, if you look at foxes, for example, um, they are the, probably the best pest control uh, unit or, or pest controller in our urban areas. They'll, you know, all the animals that non-vegans see as pests, so your rats, your mice, your pigeons, um, they'll eat all of them. And they do a great job of keeping those numbers down. Uh, and then they go, oh, this is fox in my garden. It's a pest. It's like, well, if the fox went there, you're probably going to have all these other animals that you're probably going to be even more upset about having. Um, so, yeah, we, we do, as, as humans continue to expand in population, expand our towns and cities, we are, we're not just taking over their territory, we're destroying their territory and everything that goes with that. You know, whole ecosystems are collapsing because of the way humans are behaving. And I love this image that you've painted of your CSI investigations. <laughs> you your hands on your knees, probably with a stethoscope, I'm guessing, and your, your magnifying glass. So, I mean, oh, it's me too. My trusty torch goes everywhere with me. <laughs> but there's a little bit of the, you know, all creatures great and small feel about this. So you, you must work with lots of different animals. So I'm, I'm guessing you you find yourself in some quite interesting positions with this and some quite interesting situations. Well, yeah, you know, just this year alone, I've had um, people from America calling in to help with skunks and raccoons. I've um, done uh, consultations on baboons in South Africa. Um, but even just like... The weird and wonderful. I had to go down to Essex and um, remove false widow spiders from her business. Um, and that was exciting. So I got to learn all about false widows. Never done that before. And everyone's like, oh, false widows, scary creatures. They cause you serious harm. You know what? They're, they're really not that bad when you really get into the, the, the science of it all. And this is the thing I love to do when I, when I learn the, when I learn all about the animal I'm working with, the psychology and behavior. I love to read studies. I love to really get into their mindset and getting into the mindset of false widow spiders. And there's more than one species. There's multiple species. Um, it's really exciting for me. It's like a new challenge. And I, I, I just love taking on these new challenges and finding uh, solutions to them. Yeah. So, so this is really interesting what you're talking about here, because if we just jump back to a business sense, lots of people are wondering, you know, how can I make money beyond just my hours in the day? You know, how, how can I make money from beyond just talking to the people who are, you know, that I can drive to, for instance. So what you're actually doing is you've just built up this reputation as someone who knows and understands animals. So I'm guessing you're not just jumping on, on a plane or a boat and heading over to the US to, to help them with their skunk problems. Um, this is something you're able to charge through just from your knowledge exactly um we do have a consultation service which is really popular at the moment um and one of the things i do with that i say about giving back to organizations i pick a charity uh every year sometimes two charities in a year in a six-month period and all the money i make for my consultations i actually give 100 percent of that to these charities so um even in lockdown i was doing free consultations 
uh, when the lockdown first started. And the reason I did that was because people were in a situation where their income had stopped and they still had problems with wildlife. And and like I say, I, 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 we're an ethical organisation and I think to take advantage of people whose money has stopped and have money worries and on top of the worries of the pandemic and now they've got a problem with wildlife, I was doing free consultations to help people and give a little bit back because at the end of the day, we're all human, you know, and we've got to look out for each other. And that meant I was still helping wildlife, but I was also helping people who was in need. And I did actually have a few clients who went, no, we're going to pay you anyway. And that money went straight to the Fox Project this year, who will be supporting. Yeah, which is absolutely amazing for you to do that, Kevin. And uh, you know, again, you know, on behalf of all the vegans in the world, I'm, I'm going to thank you on you know their behalf for doing oh, thank that. You. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it's still an interesting concept. So we did something similar with Vegan Business Tribe when the pandemic lockdown hit. We, we just made made the site free because we wanted to help as many you know people in a really difficult time be able to make their vegan businesses a success. And we're so glad we did that because it, it just paid us back in spades. You know, in the new friends we've made along the way, but also the success stories but but one thing to remember is that all businesses have to be financially sustainable yes you can do so much more with a profit than you can with a loss you know in terms of 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 helping people in the world so what sort of business skills have you had to take on to be able to keep your main wildlife solutions running so successfully i don't know you know all my business prowess i think has come from um you know my dad was a a good businessman um it's one of the things he taught me in life you know as a 14-year-old, I was selling £100 worth of stuff at car boot sales. Um, and I was really good at it. I've got that selling point, you know, come from Essex. We're known for being good wheeler dealers kind of types. Um, so I've got that good side of things there. Um, and then I went to do business studies at college. Um, I had a great tutor called Jim Arthur. Uh, he taught me so much about running a business and how it should be run. And he, he imprinted how he ran his business on the students. And it, it I brought... All of that I've learned into running a business now. Um, and I've just just kept that going. And, and the way I do, I, I try not to put too much pressure on myself. Um, and I try not to worry about it too much when things are tough. Um, and things have been tough. You know, f- for the first six years of the business, I was in debt and I kept racking up those debts. But I believed in the business. And I think when you believe in something so passionately, and you've got that passion, which just is in the business, but is one that you have in everyday life as well. You, you can see it. It's going to work. And I kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And, you know, I've cleared all those debts now. Um, and not just that, I'm actually starting to even take a living from it, even after I take away what I donate back to other organisations. So I, I think you just, if you're going to do a business, you've got to put everything you've got into it. It's got to be your soul, your passion. You know, if you're going to do a business too, it's got to be something you're passionate about. Because if you've not got that passion that you wake up every day and you know, I'll read a book about wildlife or I look into my ID book to discover a new species or something. If you've not got that passion underlining or underpinning your business, it makes it very hard to be motivated when it's really tough. But when it does get really tough, you've still got that love for what you're doing anyway. And like I say, I, I get paid to do something I love to do. Um, so waking up and going to work uh, in the morning is a joy. Uh, and I'm, I'm really lucky and I... I I fully appreciate and understand how lucky I am to be in this situation 
That's brilliant. Now, Kevin, you've become my new champion now. I absolutely love what you're, what you're saying here. When someone's looking to set up a, a vegan business, especially, this is exactly what they say to them. You're going to be more successful because you've got that burning passion. You've got that desire yeah. to make the world a better and fairer place. And lots of business owners don't have that. Or lots of people who are just getting up in the morning, going to a job to earn money, they don't have that. But when you've got that burning desire, you do put the extra work in. You do keep going when it gets hard. And all businesses, if you are a business owner, at some point it's going to get hard at some point it's going to be a bit of a grind and if you don't have that thing to keep you going then you're less likely to be successful exactly yeah it's, it's so so true um you know and, and if someone out is watching this and they think they're starting a, a vegan business first of all you know go with david's tribe fantastic place to to start to get you information but if you want to do a business a vegan business it has to be built on your passion and you have to use that passion to drive it forward. That is that is the key founding part of any business, I think, is having that platform that even if the times get hard, you fall back on. And it's something that you love to do in everyday life rather than working. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just jump back to your customers then. So your customers, are they coming to you looking for an ethical solution? Because normally when they're talking about pest removal, they think the animal will, will be trapped or it will just be exterminated. Um, so do they come to you thinking that there's a, a humane way to kill animals? And then that's why your company is called what it is. Um, I get that quite a lot, to be honest. Um, and when I tell you to people, look, you know, we're completely non-lethal. So I've had people go, oh, will you kill it? I was like, no, I'm not going to kill it. I'm going to, mm. if I have to, I'll, I'll remove it. But that's the last, last resort. Uh, but we do get people coming in because the humane name has been muddied by the conventional pest controllers trying to tap into people who don't actually want to kill animals. And I've had so many people contact me going, I contacted Rent-A-Kill. They said they do a humane service, but they said they were going to kill it. And I was like, well, first things first, there, there's no way you can humanely kill anything. So they really need to remove that because, you know, trading standards should be honest because that is, you know, selling their services knowingly to try and get people who think more ethically and, and are more along the lines of not wanting to kill things. So I do see a lot of people come to me and go, are you actually going to kill it or are you going to actually do something which does involve killing? And um, a lot of people are really happy when they find out, yeah, I'm not going to hurt it. And, and that can be, like I say, again, everything, again, from ants to wasps and, and all, all creatures, great and small, as to say. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm guessing that most of your customers aren't actually vegan themselves. So does that lead you to have quite a lot of conversations about veganism? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird because I always would imagine like most of my commercial clients are vegan businesses. Hmm. Most domestic clients are not vegan businesses. And I don't know how they even come across us in the first place, to be honest. Um, because I, I, I don't invest in marketing at all. I never have done. Uh, and the business is to the point now where that snowball's so big, it's avalanche and down the hill, and it's collecting people who don't even have the same, you know, the same values. It could usually be there'll be a couple, they've got mice in the house, the wife doesn't want them killed, she's not a vegan, the husband wants them killed. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and then having that conversation about being vegan, because on the back of my T-shirt, it's not got on this one here, I have a huge vegan sign. It's good having those conversations. Um, and I'm always open to, to help people um, try and make that vegan journey. An example, David Attenborough's recent program he did on the BBC, uh, I saw some of the wildlife groups, someone was saying they want to they do something. They, they felt inspired to make a change. Um, and I said, well, look, I'm happy to mentor you about vegan alternatives and help you make the vegan journey. And a lady, um, you know, she's not a vegan, she's not a vegetarian, but I'm, I'm chatting with her maybe once or twice a week going, well, have you tried this vegan product to replace 
something you're having now. So it's always good to have a conversation, whether it's in your everyday life or whether it's in a business aspect. Again, as vegan businesses, we, we've got a duty to try and bring about a vegan world. It's not yes. just about making a living ourselves or, you know, living vegan lives ourselves. Being vegan isn't enough. We, we need more people to join us on this journey. So, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, campaigning should always be a part of what you do as a vegan business, but be mindful of your customers. Before we launched Vegan Business Tribe, Anybody who I had had a long-term customer would over that, um, you know, of that business relationship would learn something about veganism, you know, and I would always have conversations with them, not in a way which would ever put them off or, or ever harm the business relationship, but just by, you know, just rubbing up against me, you know, they would inherit some of these ethics off me. So I, I always think it's it's a very important um, role to play as a vegan business. Yeah, it's, some, it's something that I think I will look into more, actually. You, you've sparked an idea there for uh, so I think I'm going to look at maybe taking that forward is something I do um, because I think it's important it's important to have those conversations because you know if you manage to get one person to go vegan just by planting that seed that's so many animals saved you know it's 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 an endless amount of animals saved in that person's lifetime then isn't it it, it is absolutely so uh, you're saying now that you don't know where your customers find you from which is a great place to be as a as, as a business yeah. but in the early days how did you go about finding your first customers uh, I, I think the first days it was just, um, I think it was a friend of a friend when, oh, this person's got mice, can you help? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. And then word of mouth spreads. And then I contacted, I think the local paper contacted me and they did, they did a story in the local paper and I got so many people just laughing at it going, ah, this, this joke, it won't last. Oh, uh, you know, I they even had, um, so I do a lot of anti-fox hunting work. And I was I was out trying to stop the, the hunt killing the fox, which had gone to, to ground uh, in, in Fife. And I had this hairy man going, oh, go back to Hoyk and humanely save some rats. And I was like, not just yet. I'll save the fox first. Then I'll go and do that. And, you know, I got it a lot, you know, in the early days. And I'll be honest, even my family laughed at it and thought it was a funny idea. Um, and I was like, no, you know what? Laugh when you want. You know, I'm going to keep going with this because I know it's right for the animals. Um, but... I'm not sure how people come across me. I, I do, I have done in the past, contact the business and said, look, do you want a foolproofing uh, solution? And I, I, I get very, very little back that way. Um, you know, I'm good at selling the service, but people, you know, right now, we, we're just not doing any sort of that just now because I think business is in such a bad state at the moment. No one's looking to to take on new kind of ways of dealing with things. Um, but I, I'd often post, you know, if someone posts in a, a social media page that they've got a problem with um, rats or mice, I'll often then tag the business in it and say, contact contact us, we can help with a non-lethal way. And that's probably about as much marketing as I do. Otherwise, I open the email box in the morning and, you know, I've, I've got a bus company down the road, you know, they're, they're not vegan, who wants help? Um, I've got someone with rats down the road. Again, my three next jobs, none of them are vegan, uh, but they all need my help. And I have no idea how they found me. It can be through Google, it can be, you know, Facebook. Um, but I don't question where they come from. Someone out there is is spreading the message really far and wide for us. And it's uh and it's doing good because you know, if, if people share and promote my services, they're indirectly helping save a lot of animals. 
Yeah. And the reason that direct approaches, especially to businesses, you know, rarely work is because you're approaching that business at the time when you want to sell, not necessarily when they're looking to buy. Exactly. You'd have to be very lucky. And, you know, people in sales always talk about numbers games. You know, you've got to call it 100 people to get one yes. But that's a horrible way of getting sales. It's, it's, it's absolutely a horrible way of doing business. And um, what I think you've done with Humane Wildlife Solutions is you've made a remarkable business. And so this is a business which people remember because you've got something very unique about as you've said, you know, you're Europe's only you know, vegan pest control. So that means that it stays in the mind. And so when people, you know, do reach that point where they do have a problem, that's if you've been keeping in contact with them and they've been seeing your brand and, and you had a remarkable enough business that people just want to tell people all about it, you know, which is yeah. why we're talking today. Yeah, exactly. I spotted you at a trade fair and thought, I want to talk to this guy because I've not seen this before. Um, it's that remarkability which gets you the future customers. Exactly. Well, you know what? I've just recently on the Facebook page gone over 6,000 likes. And I remember getting excited for the first 10. I was like, oh my God, I've got 10 likes. And I was just like, wow, 6,000 likes, you know. And I had a little sneaky look at some of the, like, the big pest control companies and they're lucky if they've got a few hundred in some of theirs. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is, you know, people see it for more than what it is. It's not just a alternative to pest control. I like to think it's also researching into new ways of working with wildlife and then also the educational side. You know, we bring a big message to what we do. And that's why I do a lot of talks to the public because, you know, it's not just about me being on site, helping someone with a rat problem. It's about educating the masses about what's really going on. Um, and um, it, it, it's fun doing that way. I like educating people. And if it, if it does me out of business and it solves someone's problem in the process, like I said before, to me, that's a complete success. Absolutely. And successful businesses are those businesses who have a mission. Because you talked about, you know, getting up to 6,000 likes on Facebook, which is you know, absolutely brilliant. But getting someone to like you on a social media platform is a big ask. You know, getting them to give you a slice of their social media time is, yeah. is a big job to do because who's going to want to follow a pest control company? Exactly. Yeah, no one. <laughs> exactly. So you, you, thousand people do. Exactly. But, but you need to have more than, than just being a pest control company. You know, you need to have that core mission and that core value that those customers connect with. And I think, you know, this passion about wildlife, I always say we, we forget how amazing wildlife is. If we were to go to another planet and find something like, like a colony of bees, we would think that was the most amazing organism in the universe. But because we're you know, yeah. surrounded with them since birth, I think we overlook wildlife a lot in this country. Oh, totally. You know, that, that, there's a place down the road, a wild meadow that I go to regularly. Um, just, I'm actually making a short film at the wild meadow as well. But when you sit down in the long grass in this meadow, and no one else goes there. I'm the only person I know who goes there. And you sit down and then you're just surrounded by all these different kinds of wasps. You know, mm. there's a, these parasitic wasps which hunt caterpillars. And they're just the most amazing creatures to watch. Forget the lions and the serengeti hunting zebras. These creatures blow your mind. They're just like everything from a pinprick to three inches long. And then you've got just so many different species if people stop if you go to a natural place and you stop and you slow down put your phone away and you start to become in tune with the the rhythm of that ecosystem and you think oh there's nothing here and you stop for five minutes you'll be like oh wow there's so many creatures here and when you start looking into the creatures we have around us even they're so incredible I've really appreciated your time today, Kevin. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Uh, before we finish, though, if someone's got a problem or they just want to know a little bit more about Humane Wildlife Solutions, how can they find out? How can they get in contact with you? Well, you can go to our website, which is www.humanewildlifesolutions.co.uk. 
Go to our Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Again, just put Humane Wildlife Solutions in. You'll find us on there. I'm always open to do public talks. I'm always open just to chat to people if they've got a concern about wildlife. Uh, and, you know, I do get a lot of calls about wildlife rescue. Um, and, and if people are concerned for the welfare of an animal, go to helpwildlife.co.uk and you can find your nearest wildlife rescue centre there. But if people want to have those chats or they want me to have those chats to groups, to schools, to universities, to anyone, I'm always willing to have those chats. And I will make people go away thinking, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I've, I've got so many useless wildlife facts. I could do this Zoom call about 20 times over just probably on wasps if I needed to. Um, but it's those facts I'd love to throw in there. And I think people enjoy them. When, when I when I start talking about a wasp and I, I come away from a job and those people are like, wow, I've got a whole new respect for these guys. It's great. It's a, that's job done. Change your minds one person at a time. Absolutely. That, that's a great way to finish this off. Thank you. So thank you so much for your time, Kevin. And I'm sure we'll maybe have a follow-on one where we talk about the wonderful world of wasps. But for now, that's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. And again, I really enjoyed listening back to that interview myself because what really sticks with me is Kevin's passion for what he does. As he said, he doesn't really do marketing, but he finds his inbox full of inquiries every single day because so many people want to share his mission. And this is something that I'm always urging you to do if you have a vegan business. Be on a mission. And share that mission because when you do, you'll find that other people who also believe in that mission, they're going to be attracted to you and they want to help you succeed. To the point that in Kevin's case, he can also use the money the company earns to fund other great vegan organizations. So that's it for this episode. And if you want to find the video version of this interview, then just head over to the Vegan Business Tribe website. But also, if you want to support the work that we do at Vegan Business Tribe to help skill up vegan businesses, to be able to keep bringing you information like this and to make more vegan businesses successful so they can spread the vegan message, then you can do that by becoming a member over on veganbusinesstribe.com. And when you do become a member, you don't just get access to some amazing content every single week. You also get access to our amazing community of vegan business owners just like you. People like Kevin, who share and understand your ethics for having a vegan business. So when you're on the website, just click on the big join button on the homepage and you get to see all the benefits that you get as a member, which includes our events, our networking meetups, our business clinics, our courses and content, our community hub, which is where you can chat with the other members, and even a welcome one-to-one with myself and Lisa on Zoom, just so that we can learn more about your vegan business and how we might be able to help support you in return. So that just leaves me to say, I hope you have a great Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. Or if you're listening after the big day, I hope you had a great Christmas. And I will see you on the next one.